Welcome to the Par 5 Golf Podcast with me, Andy. Um, if you are new here, welcome along. If you are returning, it's nice to have you back. Um, I think this is episode 5. Yeah, so it's episode 5. Took a couple of weeks off. The um, Scottish school holidays were on for the last couple of weeks. So I decided to use that time uh, whilst my daughter was, um, wasn't was at school to just relax, do a few more, um, more family sort of things and put stuff like the um, podcast and some other golf stuff to the to the side for a little while. So I'm back now with um, a new episode. If you're new to the podcast, welcome along. And if you want to listen to any of the previous episodes, you can hop back on to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Google Podcasts, Anchor. I don't know where else you get podcasts, but there's loads of places. So just search for the Par 5 Golf Podcast and you'll be able to listen to previous episodes if you like. You can also find them on my golf blog, which is um, andysgolfblog.co.uk, alongside loads of other stuff, golf-related posts, um, product and course reviews, general golf information, and uh, a little bit more about my golf life, if you like, as well. Um, but you'll probably be more interested in the product reviews and that sort of stuff. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at andysgolfblog, and the same for YouTube and Twitter. So I don't use them all that much, but I do have some content on there if you want to check them out. And um, yeah, so this is episode five. What are we going to talk about tonight? A couple of different things. I'm going to kick things off talking about the um, couple of events that took place last week, European Tour and the um, the PGA Tour. Then I'm going to delve into Hoodiegate. So loads, ridiculous amount of coverage around hoodies of late and here I am talking about them even more um, but I thought I would um, offer my my sixpence, I don't know if that's that's the correct saying but um, yeah I thought I'd offer my, my thoughts on the, the whole the whole situation with these hoodies and yeah it's gotten a bit out of hand I think. Um, also I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the players who seem to be trying to catch up with Bryson when it comes to hitting the ball 6 million miles um, so there's a few players have have really been kind of working on the range and trying to increase their their um, their ball speed and their their distances and some of them with with pretty good success actually. So I'll talk a little bit about what I've seen uh, with regards to that. And um, I thought I would include some new golf products that are coming to the market or have just been released. So I've pulled together a little list of some of the the stuff that I think looks pretty good actually. Um, and then I'll do a little overview of a recent outing uh, Texas Scramble to Charlton Golf Club with a couple of buddies. Um, so talking about a course I've never played before, but a course that really got me thinking more about golf course design. And, uh, you know, thanks to playing on a really, really enjoyable and well thought out golf course. And then I'll finish up by looking ahead to... Um, this week on the PGA Tour and the European Tour so there's a couple of really good events coming up that I'll talk about um, and there's also a little bit in the podcast about how you can win a brand new Shotscope G3 um, Golf GPS watch so um, yeah more information on that later on in the podcast so I'm going to kick things off with the European Tour and this week we had the Italian Open so this was won by England's Ross McGowan. Now, I've got to be honest, I had no idea who Ross McGowan was when I saw that he had uh, won this, or certainly when I when I saw him playing in the the final um, the final round on Sunday. No idea. Um, Seven hundred fifty to one pre-tournament. So obviously the bookies didn't really back him to win. 
and there's there's good reasons for that to be honest. Um, since 2010, he hasn't made the top 150 on the race to Dubai. So in 10 years, basically, he has been back and forth to qualifying school, and he seems to have just sort of dabbled in a few other tours and the European tour in between. But he's never seems to really, really kind of perform at the the highest level. Now, granted, the field here wasn't one of the strongest on the European tour, um, but he still had to get the job done. And it's not the first time he's won. So although I've never heard of him, he has actually won before. So he won 11 years ago, um, back in 2009 on the Madrid Masters. So this was, in fact, his second European tour title. Um, he finished pretty strongly on on the course on Sunday. He managed to birdie two of the last three holes. Um, so he was one under par 71. So par 72, he was one under. But going into the final day, um, McGowan and Laurie Cantor were both three shots ahead of the, the chasing pack. So, you know, normally that's a, that's a fairly comfortable lead. I expected one of them to go out and really kind of up the up the tempo but they, they both didn't really didn't really kind of get going if I'm honest I mean one under to, to win Laurie Cantor finished uh, level par for the day one stroke behind it's not the kind of Sunday you would expect from them but you know if you get the job done with a one under round that's not bad going at all I know at one point there were eight players within one shot so one shot of winning um, or of the leaders eight players at one point so anybody had a chance but I think as the, the, we entered the kind of later stages, um, that's when obviously McGowan managed to see it out. Stunning bunker shot for a birdie um, on the 16th. And on the final hole, par 5, he managed to birdie that hole. Cantor was only able to make a 5, so he finished, uh, as I said, one stroke behind. So a pretty solid finish there for McGowan. You know, two birdies in the last three holes. You can't really complain at that. But overall, um, yeah, a pretty good, good win for him there. Over on the PGA Tour, we had the Zozo Championship. So that last year was won by um, Tiger Woods. Obviously, it wasn't played in Japan this year. It was played over um, over here. And it was played at the Sherwood Country Club. So this was a stunning course to watch. I really enjoyed watching the golf this week. A lot of uh, par fives on the course and a lot of the holes which the players could make in two. So it, it gave a, a really good opportunity for, for the big players and the big hitters to go and try and get eagles or at least birdies. But it was amazed at the amount of time, you know, players were, were making fives on these par par fives or even sixes. Um, you know, obviously, as I said, there was, a, there was a few kind of birdies and a few eagles here and there, but a few of the players seemed to, to struggle a little bit. The competition was won by Patrick Cantley of Canada and he's now ninth in the world. So he's a name that comes up quite a lot. Um, he's, he's regularly performs well and regularly tipped but doesn't necessarily win so you know he's, he's one of these guys that's always there or thereabouts but not necessarily a kind of uh, a guy that's going to win week in week out but certainly for competition certainly the majors he's a name that that gets brought up quite often now it was his third pga title so he won at the shriners in 2017 and also the memorial in 2019 so it's been a year since he won um, but he put in a really solid performance this week. So he had four rounds in the 60s, um, par 72 course. He had a 67, 65, 68, and he finished with 65 on Sunday. So, you know, two rounds of seven under is, uh, is pretty good going. Finished tw- 23 under, so not quite a Dustin Johnson 30 under, but um, not far off. 
The interesting thing is though, he had a really solid Sunday. So he finished his first nine holes four under and he managed four birdies in the first six holes on the back nine. So at one point it looked like he was, you know, he was going to win it easily. And then he made an unexpected bogey on the par 5 16th. And that was after finding the fairway as well. So it should have been no trouble. Um, but that kind of brought other players such as uh, Thomas and, and Ram back into it. But the mad thing is he made nine birdies in total. And three of them were from 15 foot or longer. So he holed three really lengthy putts there for his birdies. The other two guys I mentioned earlier, uh, John Ram and Justin Thomas, Either of those, most players or people would have expected to um, to have won on Sunday, to be honest. Um, but they, they played shockingly bad, um, certainly on the, the back nine anyway. So both of them were okay on the front nine, but they had a terrible back nine. So they were both level par for the back nine. And to be honest, I'm not even sure how Thomas managed to finish level par for the back nine because he, at points, looked absolutely dreadful. Um John Ram, he bogeyed the par 5 13th. So as I mentioned, most of the guys were hitting the par 5s in 2, 3 at the most. Um, Ram managed to, to bogey that one, which was a hole that you'd expect, especially given he was only 225 from the green after his drive. So he had 225 yards left and he walked off of a 6, which, uh, which just shows you. The only thing is, from Ram's point of view, when he came into the final hole, he did have a chance to force a playoff. So he did get on the green in two on the final hole, and he yeah he certainly had a chance to to make his uh, his birdie. Only just missed that, but that then kind of um, obviously meant that that Patrick Cantley was uh, was crowned the winner. Thomas had a similar option on the last hole um, to force a playoff, but unfortunately for him, he had to to find the hole from the fairway. So he actually produced a really good approach shot, to be honest, and he was quite unlucky. It was right next to the pin. Um, but a birdie there was enough to give him a tie for second. I think John Ram would be a bit annoyed because he also managed to lose his number one ranking to Dustin Johnson as well. So Johnson, who didn't even play, um, moved back up to to first, uh, and Ram's back into second place. So certainly going into the final day, Thomas or Ram would have would certainly been the players that you'd be expecting to win. But you can't argue if somebody finishes seven under um, to to take the win. So yeah. Good win there for Cantley on the, the Zozo. Okay, so moving on to something that's become just all over social media of late is, uh, is Tyrrell Hatton's hoodie. So back at the PGA Championship, he basically wore a hoodie every single day. So one of these Adidas, uh, Adidas golf hoodies. And then at the weekend there, uh, Rory was wearing his Nike one at the Zozo. And these... <laughs> After Hatton was wearing his hoodie, there was this massive debate around should people and players be able to and allowed to play in a hoodie. And then obviously it kind of died down. And then when Rory wears his Nike one, obviously Nike trying to, to cash in on the, the popularity, um, the whole thing was kind of reignited again. But it's it's just such a stupid debate. And it kind of at times sums up what golf is like and what the almost like the, the kind of prehistoric attitudes to golf are like. So, it's at the end of the day, it's an item of clothing. It's made by a company who produce golf clothing as well as sports clothing. So, what what is the big problem? Like, for me personally, I wouldn't wear one because I think I would get annoyed by the the hood swinging around. 
Um, but I have no objection to somebody turning up and wearing a hoodie. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. Um, I would still wear, you know, a normal golf top and, and trousers, certainly when I'm playing on the course uh, in, in competitions and stuff. But personally, I would rather for practice or bounce games or, you know, nipping down to the course or playing on the practice range, I would rather we were able just to wear what we want. I mean, it's okay, we wouldn't be turning up in a, a football kit or a football top, um, partly because I just don't wear that kind of clothing just now anyway, to be honest. Uh, but what I find frustrating about golf is sometimes there are these kind of old, a lot of the, probably the older members and the committees and things are stuck in their ways. And the idea of like allowing people to wear a hoodie just seems absurd. I remembered a few a few years ago, Nike brought out those collarless t-shirts and uh, and they were really popular and there was a lot of debate at clubs about, oh, should people be able to wear this? What is the need to actually wear a collared golf t-shirt? I just don't understand it, or a polo shirt. Um, loads of times, as I said, I just, I just maybe want to nip down to the course on my lunch break to play a few holes and I need to get changed out of my clothing that I'm wearing just now working from home to go down and just hit some golf balls on the range because I'm worried that someone's going to be like, oh, that's not, you know, it's not the proper golf attire. And it's really frustrating because it, it eats into your time. I just want to go and hit a couple of golf balls. I can understand for competitions, uh, maybe wearing proper golf attire. But if you if somebody wanted to wear a hoodie in a golf competition, it wouldn't bother me remotely. Um, at the end of the day, I, I think you should, you should be able just to wear what you want. I think this idea of golf clubs being these kind of like elitist places and keeping the prestige and whatnot is one thing. But if you're going to be looking to the future and, and trying to bring in younger members and, and people who are interested, they're not all going to wear Pringle jumpers and, and plus fours. You know, they're going to wear clothes that is is current and what, what the, the idols that they're watching are wearing and what the companies are selling in the golf magazines and golf shops. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, to be honest. Interestingly, from a, a kind of psychological point of view, if you like, I remember when I used to play snooker back in the day, and <laughs> don't usually admit that because it's bad enough when you tell people you play golf and they think that's boring. Then you tell people you play snooker and I think that's like a new level of, of dullness. Um, but when I used to play as a junior, I always remembered the, the coach who coached us would tell us if you're playing in a competition or a, a tournament, you should always turn up in your, you know, black trousers and your shirt. And this was even at this was the age of like 12 or 13. And he was saying it, it actually gets you in that kind of mind frame and you're you're ready to play because you're dressed for it. You you know, you you feel in the in the in the zone, if you like, whereas if you just turn up for your your tournament and your jeans and your your t-shirt, you'll probably treat it more as a kind of practice round and just just playing and not as a competition. And that's where I think when it comes to an actual golf competition and a monthly medal or a weekly medal, I could see you know people wanting to to wear golf gear, and I would want to as well. If it was a hoodie, again, wouldn't really bother me, but it's still a a golf a, a golf item. But I certainly think for just general nipping on the course, I would rather I could just wear what I wanted. I've seen loads of, you know, the council courses, guys are about wearing jeans and I don't see a problem with it and I kind of wish sometimes at my club they would be a little bit, um, a little bit more open to that kind of thing. I know recently I took Lottie down to, to play on the little par 3 course and then on the way down I realised that I had actually made a booking for the, the proper course. So I asked her if she wanted to go on and I looked down and she's wearing a little pair of welly boots and her, her little jumper with 
a hood, a hoodie. And I thought to myself, I don't actually know if anyone's going to say anything. So I kind of just waited, went on the first tee. And I was waiting for somebody to, to bring her up on it. And bear in mind, she's only five years old. But thankfully, nobody nobody mentioned anything. I do think, though, if I had been the one turning up wearing a hoodie, probably would have been a slightly different um, a different situation and something may have been said. But, you know, as with anything, I often think of these sort of situations. As time goes on and the maybe the older members, the people who are a bit funny about these kind of things, when they all pop their clogs and move on, um, and leave the clubs or or die off, it, and the younger guys come through. Hopefully, things will will change. I know certainly if I was to be involved in years to come in the committees, I couldn't really give a toss if people want to wear that as long as they respect the course, as long as they respect other members, as long as they enjoy themselves, and as long as they're paying into the course. What's the problem? I would far rather some guy in a hoodie was hitting the green and repairing his pitch marks and putting his divots back than some guy who thinks he knows everything and he's, you know, ingrained in the club wearing his Pringle shirt but doesn't bother to look after it but pays his fees. I would much rather take the money from somebody who who does their bit for the club and, and looks after it and wears a hoodie. Um, but yeah, the, the funny thing with golf clothing is it's very much changed over the years. So good few years ago it was, you know, you could wear like, yeah, chinos <laughs> or cream-coloured uh, khaki-coloured trousers and, as I said, your your standard polo shirts. But nowadays it's changed so much where you've got the collar shirts. You look at what, what Nike produced. I mean, some of their stuff I think is absolutely repulsive. It's so far from from golf attire. It looks more just like kind of casual wear. And, and that stuff, I don't necessarily have a problem with people wearing. It's just it's not to my taste. Such as like those army camouflaged hats they were wearing and, and that kind of thing. Like not really a fan. Some of the trainer style shoes... I just don't like a big bulky trainer, so I wouldn't wear them myself. But do you know what? If that's what people are buying and that's what people like, I've got far bigger concerns in the world than than what people are wearing. Um, I did laugh the other week, though, when I went down to my mum and dad's. Obviously, stayed outside. I wasn't in their house before anyone says anything. Um, but my mum had a pair of my dad's old golf shoes, and she was asking if I thought they'd be any good for giving to the charity shop. And my dad's one of these guys who has never played golf he just bought golf clubs because sometimes his work would have outings that kind of thing but the, the, these things were absolutely vintage and and I said to her I said mum these these nobody would buy these anymore these aren't the kind of shoes that that you know Footjoy sell or or other companies make anymore nobody buys that nobody wears that kind of thing and she kept saying well you know they're quite good somebody might pick them up and I don't want to chuck them out but that's the kind of thing like that's where that sort of stuff belongs is in a charity shop for someone to buy it and never to wear in a golf course or they belong in the bin um, as I said I think styles and fashions completely changed and I would hope that as time goes on that kind of stuff um, gets pushed to one side that whole this whole debate um, about wearing hoodies and, and that kind of thing like I'm discussing this now but it, it shouldn't it shouldn't even be be getting any airtime because it just really doesn't doesn't matter. I'm just trying to find a um, a post that I saved recently with Harold Varner, who was discussing the whole hoodie thing, and I think he summed up absolutely perfectly where he said, um, "The fact that golf is worried about a hoodie is honestly what's wrong with golf." Right. So obviously another thing that is constantly discussed in the world of golf is Bryson DeChambeau and how far he hits a golf ball. Now, I actually quite like this discussion because over the years, 
I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of, of Bryson. He does some stupid things at times, like his incredibly slow play, or um, at one of the events where he was trying to get relief because of like a red ant. Stupid things like that that kind of almost, I think, reflects on him really, really badly. But then he does a lot of good stuff. Like He genuinely comes across as a really kind of smart, switched-on guy who, who has a real passion for the game of golf and wants to see people take up the game and wants to learn more about it and wants to, to get everything out of golf. And I think that's great. I, I admire that. He doesn't just go out and play golf. He, he properly lives and loves golf. And, and that's great to see. And his whole you know ethos now of, of hitting the ball as far as you can and bulking up, I think it's great because it does make people think. And if other players are wanting to compete with him, then they're going to have to do their bit because they can't be 100, 150 yards behind them off the tee it's just not going to work you saw how well he played at the US Open even on a course as difficult as that with rough as thick he's just smashing the ball over all of that so obviously other players are going to start trying to get to the same level and I've I've kind of looked through social media to find how other players are getting on just now the big names and the guys who used to be at the top of the driving distances and how how are they changing how are they adapting so the first one was a couple of weeks ago Rory McIlroy he was uh, trying to obviously hit the ball miles. Um, he shared a little bit of his uh, his driving practice. 349 yards carry with 191 ball speed. So um, pretty, pretty good. And actually one of the funniest things on his post was uh, the comment from Justin Rose said something like, that drive might not be short, but those shorts are. As he was wearing a very, very skimpy pair pair of shorts but you know someone like Rory he's not built like a machine but he obviously does a lot of working out a lot of weights and you can tell with him he is he's, he's pretty powerful so 200 uh, sorry 349 yards carry um, they always say if they, the pros can get over 191 ball speed or 190 um, that's pretty good going the other one was Dustin Johnson so he shared a video where he, he managed 341 carry off of a 192.5 ball speed so another one who who was absolutely smashing it um tony finau so a lot of people have mentioned since certainly a lot of his peers that out of everybody on tour he is probably the longest um so they often they often remark on the fact that he doesn't actually put in a full swing so if he was to hit the ball as hard as he could and, and produce a full swing the likelihood is he could go way further than than Bryson um, but recently 190 ball speed 329 carry so probably not too far off and I get the impression with Tony it's like he, he probably can't really be arsed <laughs> he's quite happy hitting the ball as far as he does um, but if he wanted to he's, he's obviously got a little bit more in the tank and then the other one was uh, was Phil Mickelson, the, the bombs, Mr. Bombs. So 337 carry, 181 ball speed. So, you know, that's not bad at all for someone who's uh, playing on the seniors tour just now as well. 337 carry. So he's not actually too far behind Johnson and McElroy. And he's actually with that ahead of Fino, even though he's got a, a lower ball speed. Um, so... <laughs> I did notice a comment below his post after he'd he'd posted about this and somebody had said, uh, they jokingly asked if he was actually on the fairway, to which he just replied, does it matter? 337, baby. So, you know, he's obviously... I, f- I find Mickelson quite entertaining, actually, now on Twitter, to be honest. He's uh, 
over the years, I think, since he's he's taken onto Twitter or or Instagram, there's a lot of good good content he produces, and he's yeah, I've, I've definitely warmed him much like Bryson. But um, the the difference with Mickelson is that he'll still be a hundred yards back of Bryson, and he'll be in the rough, and he'll be wayward. So um, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna do much for him. But interesting to see the older guys still manage him. The one that was also interesting was Matt Fitzpatrick. So he doesn't seem too impressed with Bryson DeChambeau and all this bulking up and hitting the ball miles. And and he doesn't actually class it to be a skill. So he says it's not a skill to hit the ball a long way, in my opinion. The skill, in my opinion, is to hit the ball straight. It's taking the skill out of it. So it's it's quite refreshing to hear somebody talk about this, you know, somebody on tour... Um, and, and address it and share their thoughts so he's not just going well I'm going to try and bulk up and I'm going to try and hit the ball miles he still sees it as the skill being able to hit the ball straight whereas I think Bryson's thinking is I don't really care if it goes straight um, or if it doesn't go straight because it's going to go for miles on current course setups it's going to take the bunkers out of play it's going to take the trees out of play and at the end of the day even if I'm in the rough I'm only going to be hitting a little wedge into the green Whereas if I was to try and hit it straight and be 60, 70 yards back, I'm hitting a different club. So, yeah, I, I think Fitzpatrick's by no means one of the shortest, but he's certainly not one of the longest. But I think he'll probably just stick to his game and uh, and see how he, he gets on. But I don't think you'll be seeing him hitting the ball 400 yards uh, anytime soon. Which actually reminds me, um, I don't know... Don't know where I saw this. I can't find the picture. I'm just looking just now, but I think Deschambeau recently was actually he actually shared a post. I think where he had managed to get over four hundred yards, so four hundred carry. Uh, yeah, I, I can't find it. I was just looking through my phone just there. Um, but that just goes to show he's obviously building up to it. And if he can get to four hundred yards, and that was without even going to a longer driver, um, I think it's pretty scary where he's probably going to go but I don't know if for me if, if it's the most enjoyable golf to watch the guys just smashing it off a tee like that because I do quite like watching a little bit of effort and creativity and shot making and even seeing irons into the greens rather than just seeing the guys chipping it on the green from the, the edge so um, yeah a lot of the players are trying to catch up but I think that's the way it's going to go all the young players that come through they're told to hit the ball certainly in America anyway hit the ball as hard as you can hit the ball as hard as you can um, and I think that's the way certainly the game the game is going. So, what else have we got? A couple of new products to hit the golf market just now. Um, I'm going to kick things off with the ShotScope Pro L1. So, as you may or may not know, um, I receive the, the ShotScope products and often review them. And I was delighted recently to receive the Pro L1, which is a rangefinder. So, if you're not familiar with ShotScope... They have produced the G3 and the V3 um, shot scope watches and the V3 allows you to track your performance so it tracks all of your shots on the course but it also provides you with um, GPS yardages to the holes whereas the G3 um, provides you just with the GPS so if you're not interested in the shot tracking you can use the watch um, just for GPS data and data um, distances to the hazards and stuff. But they decided to bring out a rangefinder, and that's what the Pro L1 is. Now, if you want to find out more about this product, um, head over to my blog, and you'll see on the homepage there's a link to my full kind of unboxing and product review slash overview. There's a video on there, and there's also a full blog post. So I've got loads of pictures, um, loads of information. But essentially, it um, 
It's £199. Again, you can head to my blog and you'll find a link to, to where you can purchase it from. But it's a rangefinder that obviously gives you the yardages or uh, meters to the pin. It has um, the kind of pin lock technology, which means as you're moving it around, you can lock onto the pin um, or you can decide just to scan. So you can keep your finger on the button, scan around. Interestingly, there's also a speed mode, which I've never used. Um, but I guess you could use that to, to see how fast the guys in front are or how slow are walking. Um, and it has a slope technology built into it as well. So I used this recently and I was really, really impressed on my course because there's a lot of holes which to the eye, and I've played this now for what, half a year, to the eye the hole looked like it was uphill or downhill. And then when I fired the, the range finder on it and the slope um, technology, it turns out there's there's no increase at all. So I was often taking an extra club or taking a club less because to me I thought it was up or downhill. And it transpires that, no, it wasn't. <laughs> they're, just, they're just relatively flat. Um, so I, I found I learned quite a lot on my course just out the other night, um, zapping different pins. And there were a few holes which, you know, in my head I was thinking that's five yards different. So, you know, maybe adjust my club or my, my shot type for that. And then when I had a look through the, the slope technology on it, it turned out it was actually maybe closer to 15 yards difference. So it's an interesting one because I tend to use the um, the GPS watch and that gives you obviously yardages to the front, middle and the back of the green. But I think whilst I'll still definitely use that because it's great when you can't see the hole, um, I like the idea of having the rangefinder as well when you get closer to the hole and you want to pinpoint a specific pin. So maybe if you're like 60 yards out, but the, the pin's quite a few yards on to the back left, you can zap at the pin and get an exact yardage to there. Um, but also, even just for quickly finding a landing area, for maybe like a par 5, you want to know how far it is to a specific point um, on the, the fairway, you can just quickly scan across and uh, and use that. So I find the, the full review for the ShotScope Pro L1 on my uh, blog but this, yeah, really, really cool piece of kit from uh, from ShotScope. And it's great to see them moving off from just the watches into kind of different areas and looking at different um, pieces of technology because they're a really good team. They've, they've got a lot of good ideas. They've got a lot of good quality products there. And if you've got you've got a kind of well-established brand now, um, it's, it's great to see them soon kind of building on that and bringing new, new um, items out. So I will hope to catch up with ShotScope in one of my um, podcasts in the future. I know every week I bag on about getting guests on, but I am getting some lined up. So um, I'll get some guys from ShotScope on. We'll talk a little bit more about their current products and maybe a little bit more about what's to come. Okay, what uh, what else is new in the world of golf? Well, Titleist have launched their um, their TSI 2 and TSI 3 drivers and fairway woods. Well, I say they've launched them. They've released information and uh, screenshots and there's a lot of guys um, or pictures. There's a lot of guys doing reviews of them just now as well. These don't actually come out until the 12th of November in the UK. They're not cheap, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so the drivers are retailing at £519, although I think I did see them on Clubhouse Golf for 499 so a whopping 4% off. Um, the fairway's coming at £279. So as I said, they're out on the 12th of November. They look absolutely stunning, I've got to be honest. I think they look really, really nice. There's quite a few players have already put them in the bag. So Tommy Fleetwood, I think, has got the, the TSI 3 in the bag. For me, the only problem nowadays with golf clubs is they cost so much money. 
So, like, if I was looking to get a new driver, I would have to have £500 to go out and get fitted for one of these. Even if I was wanting to get fitted for, like, a, a Sim or a Sim Max from TaylorMade, you're talking the best part of four or £500. And it just seems like an obscene amount of money. Um, but personally, I would rather buy a driver that's a few years older for half the price. But then the issue there is you can't necessarily get fitted or not, you know, not on most fitting centres because they'll tend to stick to the new co- new products and the new equipment. So I'd be forced to then maybe go to somewhere like American Golf and kind of try out what they've got. But then there you tend to find that you're just picking a pre-owned one off the shelf that's got a standard shaft that you can't kind of mix and match between. So they've yeah, for me the, the products have just gotten really, really expensive. But I do think with, with Titleist, I really like everything they make. They tend to make really nice looking and nice sounding um, clubs. These these drivers in, in fairways are absolutely beautiful. They really are. Um, go and have a look at some, some pictures online. As I said, there's some guys out testing and reviewing them just now. How they compare with the, the TS2 and TS3, not too sure. It'll be interesting to see. Um, they, they obviously give the, the whole we've moved the, the you know um, the centre of gravity back and all that kind of stuff and all that chat um, I'm not sure how much I buy into how much clubs technology moves on between a clubs that's launched every six months um, but hey if you're interested go and have a look at them £519 um, out in the 12th of November the other new clubs that have come out Cobra so Cobra King Tour Irons they come out on the 30th of October, so um, at the time of producing this, just three days away. They are going to be £999 for a standard set, which is four to pitch and wedge. Um, so these are these are really nice, actually. Cobra's a brand that, to be honest, never really looked at, never really been that interested. But they're doing they're doing quite well now. There's a lot of people who, who seem to be buying their equipment, and, and they seem to be making stuff that's really much much nicer than than certainly was before so whether or not they've they've got new guys in for the research and development and the design who knows but uh, these these king tour islands are uh, irons are absolutely stung they're uh, cavity backed irons and they're constructed interestingly from what they call as mim so metal injected molding process so what they've said is that this leads to a softer feeling club um, than is possible with the traditional um, steel forging. So <laughs> this actually led me on a, a little down a rabbit hole on um, on YouTube, looking at the process of steel forging. And it's not the most exciting of videos, to be honest. Um, it was very much like watching that how it's made program where you learn like I don't know or how it works, how the the postal sorting office works, how a dartboard is made, or you know how your your toilet is made. Um, it was one of those kind of videos, really quite boring and bland, like the stuff you'd end up watching in, in high school on one of these TVs and VHS. But obviously it, it taught you a little bit more about about the processing and just how much, if they're doing it by hand, goes into shaping the clubs and how much work it is. Um, but they reckon with this metal-injected moulded process that it can create a softer film club and this is great for uh, for feedback for players. Again, this is the kind of thing for me though that I don't really know how much I buy into that because as a, well, I was about to say as a, a nine handicapper, thanks to the new uh, index, I'm actually a, down to eight, but I think I'll be we right back up uh, as soon as competitions start. But as, a, as an amateur golfer at my kind of level, even if I was to hit one and, and I felt it off the toe, 
I would probably just swing my normal swing for the next couple of shots anyway. Whereas I can get that a professional would be like, well, let's come off the toe. I'm going to have to adjust things and I'm going to do this with my swing because I, I know what I did wrong there. Whereas for me, I, I couldn't half the time tell you why it came off the toe or why it came off the heel. Um, so even being able to feel feel that um, that change and, and that miss hit and, and whatnot off the club head, I'm not really sure that would really benefit me as much. But what I will say is when you go from a sort of standard traditional club to to um, the Forge clubs like the Blades, they have a really nice general feel. So I'm not talking about when you hit one well or bad, just the actual feel of the club for me, um, moving from my tailor-made R9s, which are about 10 years old, uh, to my Nike VRs, which are also about 10 years old. Um, I did straight away notice the the difference in feel. And it's it almost, one of the things I quite like is that that feedback for me is is beneficial for instilling a bit of confidence because when you hit a nice one, you instantly feel how nice it is. Whereas on my older clubs, I didn't really notice like if I hit a good one, visually it looked good, but I didn't get that kind of feeling. Um, so whilst I think this new technology would be great for the pros to quickly be able to work out exactly what they've done, for most players, probably like myself, it would maybe just produce a quite a nice feel in general, but I wouldn't be able to really identify uh, potential problems and fixes off of that. But anyway, as I said, it, it comes four to pitch and wedge. Uh, got some lamping, uh, Lampkin Cobra grips on them, and they have it as an Arcos smart grip. So basically, they have little tags, much like a shot scope, um, and you, you get those on the clubs, so on each club, and you get a 90-day trial to the app as well. Um, from which you can then continue subscription. So they come out on the 30th of October. Even if you're not interested in buying new irons, check them out. They're they're really nice. As I said, Cobra, not really, in my mind, a brand that tend to make particularly nice-looking golf clubs, but these uh, these look really great. And I'll probably pop some information on my blog at some point um, for the title Fairway Woods um, and Drivers. I'll probably pop some information on my blog about those and also these... Uh, Cobra King Tour Irons as well and one other last thing is Mizuno have the STX and the STZ drivers which are coming out um, very very soon too and I'm just trying to load up my computer now to have a quick wee scan to even see the pictures um, but yeah these these look nice as well to be honest um, Mizuno are another company who, who tend in my opinion to make some really really nice looking golf clubs I've always been a big fan of their irons and, and certainly their blades. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that's pretty popular. But it says here we're looking at a, an early release in 2021, so a little while away. Okay, so enough about the um, latest products. thought now I would just jump into a little, a kind of, just a little thought around golf clubs. So recently we played uh, the Charlton Golf Club in Leaven. Now, Leaven is quite well known for having um, coastal links courses. So you've got London links and Leaven links that sit right next to each other or back to back. Um, and in case you're not familiar, these are in Fife, which is where I'm from. Um, and they're on the, the kind of east coast, so a little bit down from St Andrews, but on that coastal route up there. So you can imagine the, the type of um, courses that you have in this area. Um, they're really nice now Charlton Golf Club I had never even heard of until one of my mates asked if I wanted to join them for um, a Texas scramble and um, yeah I was incredibly impressed 
So the first thing you should know is that they, unfortunately, their clubhouse burnt down. So when we arrived, they didn't have a clubhouse. It was just the kind of shell. It wasn't even the shell, it's just the the um, the base, if you like. There's nothing, the, the last part of the clubhouse that remains is actually a set of steps with a, a little viewing platform to look down the um, the 10th the tenth fairway. So it's really sad in that respect that they've they've lost their clubhouse. They've got some porter cabins out the front, but um, you know you hear quite often about clubs having their clubhouses burnt down or them burning down. Um, so that was that was one one thing that was quite sad to see about that course. But anyway, that's not that's not the part of the story here. Um, but as I said, we we played the Texas Scramble and I absolutely loved the course. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, it was a parkland course, which is unusual for that area. So as I said, um, Leaven is is quite well known for the courses there that sit right on the coast. This one was more inland, and I really, really enjoyed it. What I thought was different about this course to most courses I play is that all of the holes were completely different. There was so much variety. So you opened up on the, the first hole, which was a quite a long par four uphill into wind, um, sort of thick rough on the left, bunkers on the right, and then the second hole was a really short par four that you could essentially drive, um, or you could decide to lay up before a little kind of burn. So it's a really good risk and reward hole. When we were on the tee, the guys on the green actually waved us through to hit because it is only about I think maybe two hundred sixty yards away. And then after you finish playing that hole. You then play the third hole, which is a really nice hole down the hill. And and there's a great mixture of, of dog-legged holes, um, of holes that had little burns running on them. And it just seems like whoever designed the course had put so much thought into it. And it's the first time, actually, when I've played golf in a course that I've really taken time to appreciate all of these little things. Um, a lot of courses tend to just be pretty linear and just up, down, up, down, left, right. And there's not there's not too much about them even to a certain extent the course that I play at just now it's a really nice course really really well maintained I mean I love playing there but it isn't the most like fascinating of courses and there's little things that golf courses can do to to make them a little bit more exciting so an example of um, a great hole at Charlton's the, the 17th which is a, a short par 4 and all they've basically done is they've dug a trench in front of the green and put a little wall in and straight away, it means that off the tee, you could decide to go for it with a driver, but there's a risk of bringing that into play. So most players will lay up, but then even when you lay up, because it's a very shallow green and it's got loads of undulations, your approach shot is really difficult to even, even from 60, 70 yards, to actually get to stop on um, on the, the, the putting um you know the putting green so the fact is that they, they've thought about the course even some of the greens they had they had shaped around a sort of curve into the green so if you think like a kind of u-shaped green and they would tuck the pin in the back left so you had the choice to either find the the kind of flat center of the green and look at two parts or you could take the the risky shot which would be to go over the big hump to a kind of blind pin position which didn't have much depth in it, so you could easily go off the back and then you could be looking at maybe making a five or a six. And there's so many examples on that course of of good course architecture. Another great example on the, the 18th finishing hole, not a particularly interesting par four in general, it's pretty straightforward, 
However, they've popped the tee box behind two big massive trees. So when you're standing on the tee, you're looking and you've got to hit your ball through two trees that are, you know, they're not all that wide. And you're straight away, you're nervous hitting your tee shot because you're thinking, I don't want to hit that tree and come back. If you aimed outside of the trees, you'd be going out of bounds. And it's little things like that, even the positioning of tee boxes that makes golf more interesting and more fun. And for me, it was it was definitely a learning curve because I think now when I'm playing a golf course, I'm already even on my own course thinking, well, it'd be really good if they did this here or, you know, if they could add that in this location or why, you know, why have they put these certain things in these certain places? And you, you get more of an appreciation for a, a course and a layout. Um, but I also appreciate that a lot of golf courses can't necessarily make big changes. Even digging a trench out and building a wall will cost a lot of money and a lot of effort. Um, but these are things that I think over time it would be great to see courses make make some of these kind of changes and make them a bit more exciting. But if you're um, if you're ever in Leaven, there's a whole host of great courses there to be honest. But Charlton's one you've probably never heard of, and it's definitely um, worth a, a visit. And I'll have a full review on my blog at some point um, in the near future. Okay, um, I promised you at the beginning, I was going to tell you a little bit more about how you can win the um, ShotScope G3 um, GPS watch. So this competition will run until the end of this month, so the 31st of October. Head over to my Instagram page at Andy's Golf Blog, find the post which you will see a ShotScope G3 and a bit that will say um, you can win it. It retails at £169, so it's a pretty good giveaway by, by any standards. Um, had loads of comments and interest so far. All you have to do is find the post, tag a couple of friends, like it, and then follow myself and uh, ShotScope, and you'll be able to find their details in the description for the post, and then you'll be entered into the draw. You can enter as many times as you want, tag as many people as you want, and you can also share it to um, your stories if you like. Make sure you tag me in it, and you'll get a couple of extra entries for that. So, yeah, good chance to win yourself a, a great piece of equipment from ShotScope there. Right, let's finish up with the um, events that are taking place this week. So we have on the PGA Tour, we've got the Bermuda Championship. So it's the second time this event has been played and it's getting played at the Port Royal Golf Course, funnily enough, in Bermuda. Um, because of the Masters taking place in two weeks' time, most of the players, I think, are looking to play the Houston Open next week, so have probably decided to give this one a miss. And obviously, last week the Zozo we had a lot of uh, the kind of the the bigger players, if you like, um, in that field. So there's a smaller prize pot here, um, only a measly four million dollars. <laughs> Still pretty uh, pretty good going. Usually PGA Tour events, you'll be looking at seven million dollars, um, but yeah, four million for this one. And um, it's the first PGA Tour event since the COVID break, so back at the players. Um, it's the first tour event that's going to have fans. So not thousands and thousands, but 500 per day. So a very small amount of fans. Um, I think what would be really good for atmosphere is if they all stayed in a group, obviously socially distanced, um, and then followed the main TV groups around so that we could get that little bit of uh, fan cheer and atmosphere in. 500 isn't many and split across a whole golf course, you'll find that you might get a couple of people clapping <laughs> behind behind a, a green here and there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice to see fans coming back, obviously as long as it's uh, it's done safely and, and whatnot, and I'm sure it will be. 
Um, that would be quite interesting to see how that goes. But this event was won in 2019 by Brendan Todd. So he went on a little, a good little run after this, actually. So after he won that, he then went on to win the, the Mayakoba Classic two weeks later. But this was five years after his first win at the AT&T. So he hadn't won in five years, and then he picked up two wins in, uh, in, yeah, in two weeks, starting off with this one back in 2019. So... There should probably be quite a lot of low scoring at this event though because last year the winner was 24 under so Brendan Todd 24 under and the cut was at minus 2 so you can tell by that that um, obviously it's pretty pretty low scoring it's a course that a lot of guys will be will be looking to, to take apart. A couple of people who are playing uh, major champions including Danny Willett, Jason Duffner and uh, Podrick Harrington's playing as well so yeah I'll probably still still uh, give this one a, a watch. It's always interesting to see these events where you don't have the the bigger names, if you like, because it gives an opportunity for some of the players who are maybe breaking through or are less lesser well known on tour, um, a great chance of winning, and they they still get good good chance to get FedEx Cup points here, um, as well. So I think there's five hundred up for for grab, uh, grabs at this one. On the European tour, we have the now. <laughs> I don't know if this is pronounced correctly, but is it the Aphrodite or Aphrodite? I, I don't know. Um, the the Hill Cyrus, Cyprus Open. So uh, we'll call it Aphrodite uh, Hill Cyrus Open. What am I trying to say? Now, over on the European tour, we have the, I hope I pronounced this correctly, the Aphrodite Hills Cypress Open. If anyone's listening and I've pronounced that incorrectly, then we could say it's Aphrodite, but I, I don't know what the, the correct pronunciation is. Um, but anyway, yeah, over in Cyprus. This is a new addition to the European Tour, and there's actually two events played at the, um, the same course over two weeks. So we have the Cyprus Open, which is uh, this week, and then next week there's a Cyprus Showdown. Um, so these should be quite exciting 2000 race to the buy points um, up for grabs and also 1 million euros so a pretty standard pot on the European tour for kind of non-Rolex um, events but it's a par 71 course just shy of 7000 um, yards and some of the, the names teeing up there's some, some good players playing uh, Haitong Lee Andy Sullivan who is the favourite he's teeing up uh, Marcus Kinhout Scotland's uh, Robert McIntyre and Connor Symes so some of these guys who have been playing really quite well recently, especially like Sir Connor Syme, um, it'll be nice to see them taking part. And it's probably good for them to get a little chance to go across and play in Cyprus. And it's another country that you probably wouldn't really associate much golf with, certainly on tour. Um, but it'll be a, a nice one to, to watch. And I like the idea that they've got one event and then immediately next week we're playing at the same course, but, uh, but a different event leading up to, to the Masters. So... Yeah, a couple of events taking place here, European Tour and the um, PGA Tour. Anyway, that brings me to the end of this um, episode 5 of the Par 5 Golf Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks very much for staying to the end, if you have made it this far. And um, I promise this every week, but I genuinely am going to have some guests on the podcast. So the idea is to maybe have somebody else on the podcast every, um, maybe every second week. And I've been chatting to to George from the short gains to try and get him involved and he's definitely up for it so he's an assistant professional um, down at uh, a club down in 
um, down in England, so he's going to come on and have a nice little chat with him, find out a little bit more about his life as an assistant pro, um, and he does some really, really good work around uh, social media and around just trying to help people improve their golf. That's how I, I kind of got to know George, um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing his kind of thoughts on, I guess, how how he's had to adapt things during uh, lockdown and then also coming out of lockdown, obviously for, for golfers, um, it, things have changed on the golf course, but even going for lessons for pros, all of that's changed. He does a lot of great work with uh, with the juniors, so there'll be some hopefully some tips there for people like myself who have a, a child who maybe we're looking to get them into golf or encourage their development in golf. Um, I'm sure George will be able to share some really good tips with that. So hoping to get that one recorded uh, this week for either next week or the following week. And, uh, and as I said, maybe get the guys from ShotScope on the line, get a, a little chat with them going. Um, and there's a few other people that I've, I've um, recently spoken to that I'd like to, to catch up with. But until then, um, enjoy the winter golf. It's not quite as uh, enticing going out just now when it's like five degrees and it's miserable and wet. But I've still managed to get out for a little bit of practice during my lunch break. And, uh, and I hope you guys have too. But as always... Let me know what you thought of the um, podcast. If you've got anything you want to chat about, do let me know either below the podcast on my um, Instagram page in the post section or on my blog. But until then, uh, until next week, thanks very much for listening and see you later.